Hello and welcome to Matters of Experience. My name is Abigail Honor. My friends call me Abby. And I'm Brenda Cowan. Abby, my friends call me Professor. Welcome to this week's podcast on the gigantic topic of exhibition versus experience. What are the differences, if any, and why does it matter? We're going to look at how exhibitions were traditionally defined and how and why is this changing. I first want to acknowledge that this is a topic for about 10 hours of the show, right, Brenda? Oh, yes. I teach in an MA degree program in exhibition and experience design. So, Abby, we can safely put it at several hundreds of hours. So let's talk about a museum. Museums have been around for a long, long, long time, and they're traditionally places for collections of artifacts. And the exhibition portion is what the public gets to see, which is usually part of the collection of a museum. Recently, these exhibitions have been asked to become experiences. So what we're here to talk about today is sort of any commonalities between exhibits and experiences and any differences between an exhibition and an experience. The definition of an exhibition is, and I quote, a public display of works of art or items of interest held in an art gallery or museum or at a trade fair. So I think we can probably all pretty much agree that sounds like an exhibition to me. What, what about you, Brenda? Sure. <laughs> Did you get that from Merriam-Webster? <laughs> <Not> from Google. <laughs> Google. Thank you, Google. I think that, sure, it's important to have a grounding. And I know that we're going to dive in, in terms of really looking at the sort of the semantics. But one of the things that's really, really important to me to point out is the idea that experiences are somehow new or that experience and relationship to exhibitions is new because it's not. If we go back to the 1970s and look at Ed Schlossberg's work with the Brooklyn Children's Museum, we are seeing pristine experience design. If you look at any children's museum or science center, all of them museums, right, recognized as museums, you automatically are looking at all of the kinds of elements that we use to define experience design, immersion, kinesthetic, we're looking at interactivity, audience driven. And I think that, you know, I began doing work in children's museums 30 years ago. And I think that it's kind of weird in a way to be talking so much about experience design because it kind of was you know, you know, do they use the expression in Britain, cut your milk teeth? I cut my milk teeth on creating, you know, children's exhibits, which is all experience design. So I, I don't know that you can really extract the two. So way back then, 30 years ago, when you, when you were working in museum, children's museums, did you ever use the term experience for your exhibitions? Like, was it something ever synonymous with what you were doing? Or was it something you were doing and you didn't realize it? Probably both. And look, you know, we we talked endlessly about experience, but experience design was just not, you know, on trend. It wasn't the the language or the lingo that was being used. At the time, in the early 90s, when I was working in children's museums, there was an enormous push to look at education and outcomes. And there was a tremendous amount of work that we were doing with the, at the time, it was the American Association of Museums, now the American Alliance of Museums. We were working tremendously with AAM and looking at their standards of excellence in museum exhibition. And 
they're all experiential. Mm-hmm. No, they are. I'm so happy you brought up AM standards of excellence because they've been there for so long. And one of them for museum exhibitions said, and I quote, an exhibition is successful if it's physically, intellectually, and emotionally engaging and accessible to those who, wait for it, experience it. As we think about what an experience is today in a museum, one of the things I think they have to have is that interactivity, that communication, that conversation, whether it be physically or from an intellectual perspective. I think that the idea of human development is what drives especially the early great children's museums. We're talking about Brooklyn Children's Museum, Boston Children's Museum, and well, I could go on from there, but those were really the first two. And the whole idea was to provide experiences and environments for experiences that help children grow and learn in a natural way. But at the end of the day, the idea of interactivity and play and design is just as much for adults. Maybe it's a generational thing, Abby. I don't know. The idea that adults play, too, and that, you know, interaction, kinesthetic experience, multisensory experience, engaging with objects. It's not it's not just for kids anymore. It's always been for adults. It's just the profession is only just now, I think, catching up with that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think things like, I totally agree, I think recently things like Roblox and other games. And so I agree. I think that the atmosphere that we're designing in right now is a very open one to be able to incorporate play. And maybe education also has sort of slowly turned more to understand that play and interaction actually helps people retain and learn. I feel that 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 is where education has lagged and museums, more traditional museums have also lagged behind in terms of that. So let's talk about experience versus exhibition. Mm. Tell us a little bit about the definition as far as the standards of excellence go. Sure. And I should just put out there, I really struggle to separate the two, exhibition versus experience. I don't think it's a versus. Um, I think that they really are two faces of the same coin or just two different perspectives. And I want to interject with a question then. So yes. does that mean you think that every exhibition needs to be experiential or have an experience tied to it? I think that every exhibition does have an experience tied to it. I think that once you have a visitor in an environment engaging with content in, you know, in whatever way engaging with the environment, you've got an experience. It's important for us to recognize the nature of humans and the physical, the intellectual, the emotional framework that is the human being. And every time people go into, especially into a designed environment that has been, you know, curated, that has been designed by a creative team that's gone through all of the elements of design, I think that you are going to have engagement in those three primary ways. And I think that that's what experience ultimately is. It's the human having the experience within the space. I think that great spaces have thought about that and have designed towards that and that welcome people to engage intellectually, physically, emotionally. Right. And we, we're not talking about a bad versus good experience here. We're no. talking about an experience based on what the curator or the team were trying to share, the design team. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also, we need to make sure that we get in there, that we're also not just talking about museums, but we're talking about, and certainly these days, branded environments, retail environments, trade shows, expos, spectaculars. You know, we've got so much that is happening right now on intimate scales and on grand scales and with innovative uses of media. All of the same defining elements 
apply in terms of human experience, no matter what, in any of these kinds of environments, we're having the physical, the emotional, and the intellectual experience. And ideally, people get what they want. They feel good about what they have experienced. Just thinking as we discuss that an experience and exhibition are one and the same, it's interesting to even question what an exhibition is today. So I just visited a pop-up uh, in the meatpacking district yesterday that was laid out. It looked very similar to an exhibition, but it was actually a store. The pop-up had product much like when you go into a traditional museum and they have artifacts. It had text panels explaining all about the product. It had labels identifying the product and a call to action. Everything was really well designed when you're talking about messaging. It was all on point. There was hands-on moments where mm -hmm. you could touch things and interact. They had hair clips that you could take off, try on. There was a huge glass mirror there so you could actually look at yourself in them. There was a lot of intention that had gone into the design of the space and the presentation of the objects, very much similar to an exhibition. They knew their target audience. Everything was totally geared to that. But in my opinion, just one of the shortcomings was that it lacked what I would call cultural significance. Its aim at the end of the day overall was to sell me some stuff. The satisfaction from an experience perspective was pretty low level. It wasn't intellectually or very emotionally engaging, but I did have a basic interaction. And so I would call this an experience. I think that, you know, first of all, the expectations that you had going in clearly did not match up with what you got. And we're going to be talking in a different episode with the brilliant John Falk, who's going to talk about the meaning of, to him, education and exhibits and the idea of satisfaction as well. I don't know that the whole point is necessarily to get an education and certainly, you know, not the one that you were experiencing. So if you were kind of expecting to learn something new, it, that could certainly be why it just really wasn't hitting the right marks for you. One of the people who I go back to as well, and I think of, is another one of these museum greats, Stan Spock. And he once gave a cool definition that exhibitions are the medium of media, written words, sound image, moving image, performance, uh, digital media. And he says that when an environment has all of these, and yet it retains its inherent exhibitness, then you've got a great experience. You've got a great exhibition. And really, one of the delicious things about being in exhibition design is that you've got the entire candy shop. You've got it all. You've got so many tools and toys yeah. to work with. Even exhibitions that are didactic or they're static, there's always a lot going on beneath the surface. That, And you'll hear the word numinous experience when people have encounters with objects and objects that are very evocative. People have sensory experiences and environments that are so moving to them and it's subjective and it, it again it's based on what their expectations are what their motivations are what their desires are but experience is not always something that you can see happening is an important point to me so you could have gone into an exhibition that has not had a ton for you to let's say play with or be super stimulated by, but you still could have a very moving experience and you could still have what to you would be a really great experience in a designed environment. I think back actually to when I was 12 years old in the Tate Gallery in London, surrounded by the Mark Rothkos <gasps> and all my classmates. Yes, it was a fundamental moment in my life. For some reason, I stopped and paused and I looked around and I couldn't move for about an entire hour and I was completely transformed and transfixed. And that experience was 
unbelievable. I still remember the way I feel to this very day. Nobody else in my class had that. That was just something that I had in relation to the Rothkos around me. I think it's interesting also that we aim to create an experience for everybody to enjoy, but a lot of it depends on what a person is bringing into the space, what experiences they've had before, and what experiences they're hoping to have. Part of how I really love thinking about this is that visitors are responsive, but they're also drivers of their own experience because they come with expectations and there are things that we want. We have chosen, we have self-selected to go to a particular place to have a particular experience. On some level, we have gone there, even if we're a tag along and are going there because, okay, the husband wants to go here. You bet. I will absolutely come along with you and I'd really rather be wherever. Oh, come on. Oh, You've come never on. agreed to go along with your I husband. I always agree to go because he's wonderful and I just can't just always want to spend time with him. So <laughs> I'm serious. But the, the, the point of the matter is we set ourselves up to have a certain kind of experience. And what is interesting, I think, is when an experience is designed for being that it has multi-senses, let's say, or it's accounting for as many different physical modalities as possible, and there's emotional aspects to it. Then all of a sudden, we get to be responsive. And let's say, you know, in a situation, if I, you know, am a tag along, all of a sudden, I get to be responsive to an environment where I really was not very willing to give myself over. I can also direct my experience. I think that experience design is a dance. It's a it really is a dynamic conversation between an environment and a visitor. That's what I was going to add. I was going to say I'd describe it as, I guess, contrary to a film where it's just a monologue. You're being talked to. You're not being asked any questions. Your participation is purely to sit and absorb. And I feel like experience and experience design is all about the dialogue. And it's about that interaction. It's about that conversation. And that's what really creates this immersive experience and something that's long lasting, something that you feel part of. I mean, how many times have I been in an amazing exhibit and you are invited to give your point of view or your legacy, and then you feel like you're part of that institution. So I think it operates on a really profound level when you can start to have those connections with the visitors and that really incredible experience. Mm. So when we're thinking about breaking down the differences between exhibitions and experiences, do experiences without driving narratives have an easier time of it? Is it harder to reach people when you have a specific story you have to tell? So the opposite of film, I guess, where a good story moves you and a film without much of a story loses you. Looking at spectaculars as experiences, do they get away with a lot because they really don't have to tell a beginning, a middle, and an end. They just have to have people leaving going, wow, what was that? Question mark. So what do you mean by getting away with a lot? What are they getting away with? They're getting away with being able to show you something big because scale is usually linked to these things. Mm -hmm. So it's big scale, either in terms of square footage or meterage or ginormous screens, or something truly hugely immersive. And then if you don't have to tell a narrative, then you don't have to worry about a direct story. You can show something fun and playful and abstract. Mm. It doesn't have to have a set parameter. It doesn't have to communicate any facts. A lot of the historical museums we work on have to convey facts. It's part of their backbone and they better be factually accurate. 
with some of these bigger spectacles. I think it's more about being there with a crowd and sharing a common moment. So there's a lot there. And the first thing I have to do is I have to respond to your super exuberant description of these big awe environments. And I'm just, I'm sorry, I'm going to get, you know, just slightly scholarly about this, but it is so exciting. There is work that has been done and it's called small self. When you are in a place and you suddenly feel really small, it ignites something in the human animal. It is absolutely amazing and it is spectacular and true to the term that is used oftentimes to describe or capture these really giant over-the-top events and experiences that are created these days. Part of why you love those moments and why so many people love those moments is that there is something in the feeling of the world is much larger than I or things are much larger than I that actually kind of helps us psychologically. It it literally kind of grounds us, which is a very good kind of feeling. And it also makes us feel pro-social. When you're in an environment like that, oftentimes, you know, maybe a stranger will sort of maybe lean over to you and say, can you believe that? Yeah. And that's the commonality of it, right? Mm -hmm. We're all experiencing it together. You do feel one of many. And so in that, most people take great comfort. Yeah. When I was listening to you, I was thinking about the super brilliant city museum in St. Louis. And so it's lush. It's if you haven't seen the space, um, I have to give a blanket apology to the creators of the city museum because I am so awkwardly going to try to properly capture you in a description. But it is an artist generated museum and the entire space is recycled, repurposed, upcycled, crafted objects, environments made out of hand sculpted materials and the entire building includes elements of other buildings and for all of our listeners Abby is making a wow I am making expression. a wow face. She's making a wow face and it is well justified. So the whole institution is this artwork and The narrative is the environment. And this is where I see this really gorgeous sort of syncopation between experience, designed environment, built environment, and story. So did you leave with that feeling of the human interaction with this geographic area and the Mm -hmm. kind of people that were there and the kind of buildings? And when you walk away or when you think back at it and you remove the experience, what did you learn? I learned, I think, about other people sharing the space with me. And part of that, again, is I want to pick up on your wow experience. That became, as per the nature of awe experiences, it became kind of like a very resonant shared social connector. And because every single thing that you were seeing, touching, interacting with was literally a physical part of the city created by people of the city. In terms of learning something, I feel like I learned about other people. I learned about myself quite a bit, I must say. And I think at the end of the day, you know, we can argue semantics or experience (laughs) versus exhibition. I think ultimately the goal is that of both, is to learn a little bit more about who you are and your place in the world. So it sounds like St. Louis is a place that I need to go visit and check out that museum. It sounds incredible. It is. 
I think about one of the major differences potentially between an exhibition and experiences, you always want to get visitor participation up front. It's incredibly important if you want to make a successful exhibition. When you think about the location of the exhibition, the target audience, you really need that visitor participation ahead of time to really make sure that what you build is for the community. I think that is less of a concern when you're talking about these pure experiences, some of the branded experiences where of course, they know their target audience if it's a brand or a product, but there's less of that conversation that goes on about what's going to be created. And then multiple touch points, thinking about multiple touch points before an exhibition opens. How is this museum or exhibition communicating to the public before the doors officially open? What's that strategy? How could you replicate the narrative online and talk to the audience about the stories before it opens? And then when we look at the designer's perspective, There are no differences between exhibition and experience design, I believe, in today's world. I think what's changed is all the tools the designer needs in order to design a great exhibition or experience. So you're talking about understanding media, video, interactives, you know, how you design an interface, how users interact with that interface, how they sit and enjoy media or walk by and enjoy media, AR, whole new arena, VR, another one. And then if you add on top of that, the metaverse, you have this ginormous toolbox that our designers have at their fingertips to create these unbelievable immersive exhibitions. And then we move to curators. Curators really need to work with companies that can help them tell their story using this broader tool set. It's really difficult for curators to keep up, you know, and what's actually going to stick. So it takes them a long time to be persuaded. And sometimes I feel a little frustrated that you can see all the other industries that are providing these experiences and our more traditional museums haven't got there yet. Well, large or small, I think that something I want to pull out, something that you said earlier, which is that an element of design, I think um, it's definitely happening right now and it's increasing, is audience participation. And I think of co-creation. And I see that as a very viable and a really vital element of design that I think should be in those standards of excellence as AAM updates its work in upcoming years. I think that co-creation, audience participation in the actual generation of experiences of the exhibition environments is critical. And related to that, I think that another element of design that is starting to really appear on the radar and being done really effectively as social action. I mean that specifically as an element of design, something that designers need to be trained in. I know that we do social action as an element of design in our program and because our designers need to not only have that enormous toolkit that you just went through, but in a sensitivity towards and a knowledge of all of the different roles that people are playing on our client teams, but social action, they need to understand the fact that whatever the kind of environment is, it's a part of society. It is a part of our culture. It is a part of distinct cultures and it's a part of human culture. So to create these forms for experiences, but then also enable people to be prompted towards positive action. Yeah, I totally agree. There's nothing worse than actually going through an exhibition, being completely motivated, touched and moved and thinking, well, what do I do now? I'm now completely frustrated. I feel useless and nobody's providing me with any way to help or do something or any action items. And again, when you think of Gen Zers, I think of them in this positive way. Mm -hmm. Um, All that they've sort of brought to us is bringing into focus this idea of positive action. And I feel like they almost demanded it. 
they've grown up in a world where they want to make a difference, be given this opportunity to act and be heard. And speaking from experience with my two teenage girls, that's what I live every day. So I think social media has a lot to do with why they are the way they are. It's provided this platform since they were born to find a community, a place to speak out, show their passions and really get support in large numbers. And I think that's what they demand from their exhibition experiences. Abby, we have only scratched the surface. So Brenda, let's move on to Tech Talk, where we look at any advances or trends in technology that are happening that might be useful and inspiring in creating an experience. Abby, I am going to just make a quick plug about TikTok and how the app, which apparently is thought of as being most popular among 13 to 21 year olds, although I'm in my 50s and I know an awful lot of folks in my age group who absolutely love TikTok. TikTok reaches over 1 billion people. I'm mentioning TikTok because very recently I read a piece that the Carnegie Museum of Natural History has posted 12 films on TikTok, and they have been attracting over 1.5 million views, which is more people than visited all four institutions in the Carnegie Museums of Pittsburgh last year. And these TikTok videos are these brilliant little pieces of Tim Pierce, who is a curator at the museum, who, folks, he tells snail jokes. That's it. It is our beloved curator telling snail jokes. And it is reaching that number of audience. It's absolutely amazing. So I want to put in a plug and highly recommend that museums play with TikTok. It's your friend. I think that's absolutely fantastic. I just love the authentic delivery. I also wanted to give a shout out to the Black Country Living Museum in Birmingham in the UK. They also use TikTok, especially during COVID, and they got a third of a million followers since using the platform in August. So this particular video features grandfather giving out advice from the 1920s, you know, like all of our grandfathers do tell us what we should and shouldn't do. And uh, it went viral. They even actually got on the official UK TikTok 100 chart, believe it or not. So I think that's kind of amazing. So they take their actors, their docents from the museum and brought them to life on TikTok in these very short little vignettes, really well produced. They're all in costume. They're in location at the museum, telling stories, singing songs. It's really brought the museum visitor experience to life on TikTok. So not only did they get a global audience, but it really worked during the pandemic, which I think, you know, is a great use of social media and has really pushed social and pushed digital to the forefront of a museum's thinking, given that, you know, we don't know when the next pandemic may happen. Yes, I said it, ladies oh, and gentlemen. Abby. <laughs> sorry. Better to be safe than sorry. That's what I say. Well, pandemic or no pandemic, TikTok is certainly not going away anytime soon. And the truth of the matter is, it's just a heck of a lot of fun. So that's all that we've got for today. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Please send us any thoughts, suggestions, TikTok videos, and tune in next week. Matters of Experience is produced by Lorem Ipsum Corp. Please tune in next week for another conversation. Thank you all for listening.